This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. And this is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, at Indigo Radio. Our shows are also recorded and are uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes after the show. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. And this is Anna Milani for Indigo Radio. And I have to tell you all that this is my first time back in the studio in over a year. Uh, so mistakes may be made. <laughs> Hopefully not. But I'm really excited, and I'm here um, with Lou. Lou, I was just practicing your last name. Lou Radetsky. Thank you. And I'm so excited to have Lou here. Lou is from Argentina, and she is an artist, healer, and educator, a member of the international net of theater of the oppressed called the Magdalenas. Lou, is there anything else you want to say to introduce yourself? They them, and I'm very, very happy to be here with you all, and in this program in particular. So thank you. Yeah, Lou, I messed up your pronouns. Your pronouns are they them. Thank you for correcting me. It's all good. <laughs> no problem about and that. And thank you for being in the studio. We are gonna go as we kind of get ourselves settled here. We're gonna spend the hour talking with Lou about Lou's experience with theater and how. Theater can be used as a catalyst for change. Lou and I have also done a lot of talk around violence against women, violence against trans women and cis women, and violence against um, those that identify outside of the gender binary, um, and also really violence against femininity. So we're going to be talking a lot about that and hear about Lou's experience. Um, We're first going to go to a song and we're going to start that. Um, the song is by Ana Teju, Anti Patriarchia. Y la campaña, yo puedo ser cualquiera de todas, depende de cómo tú me apodas, pero no voy a ser la que obedece porque mi cuerpo me pertenece. Yo decido de mi tiempo, cómo quiero y dónde quiero. Independiente, yo nací, independiente, decidí. Yo no camino detrás de ti, yo camino de la par aquí. Tú no me vas a humillar, tú no me vas a gritar, tú no me vas a someter, tú no me vas a golpear, tú no me vas a denigrar, tú no me vas a obligar. Tú no me vas a callar No sumisa ni obediente Mujer fuerte, insurgente, independiente Y valiente, romper la cadena de lo indiferente No pasiva ni oprimida Mujer linda que da vida Emancipada en autonomía Antipatriarca y alegría Yeah, 
Okay, we are back at Indigo Radio, and we're back in the studio. Happy Sunday to everyone. And we have Lou Radetsky here. They are a artist, healer, and educator from Argentina. We're living in Western Brat. Is that right, Lou? Yes, it's right. How long have you been here in West Brattleboro? Mm, about two years. It's a yeah. far cry from Argentina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Can you tell us anything about that song that we just played? Yeah, well, that song is a very interesting song about the empowering process of women. Uh, women body people, uh, women identify people, and it talks about the importance of freeing ourselves from our minds. Uh, because, you know, patriarchy is not just something that is external to you, but also inside of ourselves just like inner racism mm. and so uh, this song is particularly interesting in that in that way because it helped us see that sometimes the oppression could also come or be in in between ourselves mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. uh, sorry for my spanglish first of all no please <laughs> so also we all should just be speaking spanish <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> but yeah this song is talking also about sorority and that connection between women and mm-hmm. how important it is and again when I'm saying women I, I'm not talking just about uh, women body people but also um, women identify people because we all suffer from the same problems mm-hmm. so um, this song it's bringing us to that awareness of the importance of seeing each other's uh, allies mm-hmm. instead of enemies mm-hmm. and that's something that sometimes we lack. Mm-hmm. There is all this energy of uh, competition that the um, feminist, the, the feminist allies are trying to um, voice out, so we can see the importance of first of all working on ourselves, the so-called inner work, mm-hmm. and also seeing our or or brothers and sisters on the same struggle that we are trying to free themselves and empower themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just talking to someone about how I'm an educator and that sometimes when people ask me to do something around, say, women's issues or violence against women or gender issues, I have often started the conversation with, did you learn to hate women and fear men? And the responses are interesting because it's not it doesn't just kind of align along the gender binary. I also was taught to hate other women. And I feel like that's something that you're getting at too. It's that I was taught to fear men. I was also taught to hate women. And I think that it's interesting sometimes to hear men's reactions because I think it takes them a minute sometimes to say, oh yeah, I was also taught to hate women. Um, It's something that we're definitely taught. And so we have to like get that out of our own beings too is, is what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. And here, education is, is going to come out like a very important tool because this is uh, so so much inside of our society that is already naturalized. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this song is talking about, about breaking free from that change in our own minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you about, um, to first start, I know you have done this work with the Magdalenas, which I want to get to, but I think first, before you talk to us about that, could you tell us what Theater of the Oppressed is and a little bit of history around that? Yeah, Theater of the Oppressed has born in 1950 with Augusto Boal, and it um, it is a tool for social movements to strategize and analyze about the issues that different communities are going through. So there is a lot of different branches. You can think about TDO or Theater of the Oppressed as a tree, Mm -hmm. that it has its roots into a social movement more than, um, you know, just an artistic expression. Mm -hmm. And it has also a very, very important connotation um, regarding uh, researching. It, it's, a, it's a theater based on reality, and it's a theater based also on what the community needs are. So you're going to see that branches of this kind of theater can be, uh, for example, journalist theater, when you are using actual uh, news that 
you find in the newspaper or in the radio to come out with uh, criticism, with a critical thought. And also, one of my more um, beloved uh, tools from Theater of the Oppressed is the Forum Theater, one of these branches, because it erase completely the line between the public and the actors. And that's a very interesting way of conceiving uh, theater because you're not looking to present something that is all made, you know? You're not making a story that is uh, has a beginning and an end, but you are, instead of that, just showing up with a question. So you show up with this question, and in foreign theater, what you're trying to do is um, help the community strategize um, around this question, right? So if you're talking about domestic violence, for example, um, you're not going to come out with a play that has all the answers. You're just going to throw there the question. And then there's this uh, figure that is the joker in the theater of the oppressed that is going to help the public... Um, feel confident in their ability to change what is going wrong in the play. So the first thing here is that the play is going to come out bad. You know, like people are going to go jail, people are going to be uh, mistreated, everything is going to be really, really wrong. Uh -huh. So it's not like fun in that way. But then the good thing about it is that the public has in their hands the ability to change the results. And uh, again, this is going to be a process. This is not going to be something that um, somebody's going to say, oh, um, I'm going to change that, and, and, and that's the end of the play, right? Because precisely, theater of the oppressed is not actually looking for answers. It's just um, looking for problems. It's looking for people to reflect on their strategies mm -hmm. and try them on. Because the actual magic of this is that somebody in the public can say, uh, for example, going back to a, an example on domestic violence, like, oh, well, she should leave the house, right? And that's a very common topic. Like when you are in, a, in an abusive relationship, people used to say, you usually say, uh, like, wh why she's not leaving, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the joker will say, in this case, to the person that is uh, presenting this strategy, okay, well, try it. And so the person in this case representing the, the women or, or the oppressed will take out something from their costume and give it to the person in the public that is presenting the strategy. Mm -hmm. And so this person is going to come out inside the play and replay the whole situation with their strategy or her strategy or his strategy to change it. What is interesting here about the TDO, or Theater of the Oppressed, is that um, things are not that easy as we thought in our minds, right? So it gives you the opportunity of not only come out with a strategy, but also try it and see what it happens. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, when this person in the public go inside the play and feel what this woman is feeling and get the answer from, in this case, her oppressor, uh, and see the results of the strategy, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to create a whole different awareness mm -hmm. about what kind of strategy I can come up with. Right. And so the rest of the public that is observing the interaction between this strategy that somebody is proposing and the oppressors, because the oppressors cannot change in theater of the oppressed, they are going to react uh, without compassion. They're going to react how they usually react. So mm -hmm. it's very important for the actors the, to, to do well that character, you know, to mm -hmm. figure out what a person will do in this or that situation. Mm -hmm. But so the public get this great opportunity to see, um, okay, what part of this strategy was helpful? And what part of this strategy actually was triggering or wasn't really a uh, good way to go mm -hmm. around this, so this issue, right? Mm -hmm. So the next person in the public will come out with a more elaborated strategy that take in account what, what was the, the previous failures and the previous um, conquests that mm -hmm. the past strategy came out with. So even though we're not going to 
find an answer. It's not even our objective to find an answer. We're going to be able to see where are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Where are we thinking something that is not actually possible? Or how can we get better on our analysis of what is good to be done in this situation? Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful key. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the examples, too, that you're using around domestic violence, just because I'm in, entrenched in this work because I've worked for a long time at the Women's Freedom Center in town. And one of the conversations that we often talk about uh, is how do we get community more involved uh, because violence is a community issue. And so I think about the way that you just described how theater of the oppressed works is that it's a really great way to engage the general public in saying we need your help also and we want to hear your answers. What do you think? And um, what are other creative ways that could happen? Plus it also, I like the, this question of, well, why, why don't you just leave? Well, let's see what happens. And I know well what many obstacles are in the way of someone just leaving an abusive situation. And so it's also this tool to teach, to like build awareness about the nuances of an actual like social injustice or a situation that's happening. Exactly. And also will help you um, put in evidence the different levels of privilege that people have. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not going to be the same uh, an European descended feminist woman strategy than an indigenous mm -hmm. feminist woman strategy or a male body person strategy or a queer person strategy. Everybody has their own different perspective, privilege and layers and layers and layers of their own mindset regarding um, where they are in the social in the social scale, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I do, so I teach public health at UMass to undergrads, and one of my favorite assignments that I have for them is they have to come up with a street theater um, presentation. And I do this uh, off of, there was a, a campaign in the 70s actually through Latin America that was um, called I mean, in English, it was called the measles monster, but it was about uh, educating in certain areas around getting the measles vaccination. And th I have my students look at that, and it was a street theater performance, and there was sort of this monster that was the measles monster, and it was a whole way of educating the public around measles and how to get vaccinated. And I show them that, and then I also show them this other street theater uh, that's around veterans, uh, U.S. veterans, and it's a pretty intense one. It's, it's, it's a, I think, a three-person street theater where they have this big puppet of a veteran um, that they lay down as if he has died, and then they do all these statistics in chalk around the numbers that have died in Iraq and Afghanistan, the numbers of Iraqis in Afghanistan. Uh, Afghan people that have died. They talk about veteran suicides. They talk about PTSD. And so it's a way to educate just people walking by um, around what's happening with the war and then what happens with veterans. And so then I have my public health students. I say, you need to pick a public health issue and come up with uh, some sort of skit. And it's pretty fun. They're very shy. They don't want to actually do it in front of the class. <laughs> So I always joke with them that I, I'm hoping to see as I walk across UMass campus that I'll see their street skit happening sometime. <laughs> but it's great, the ideas they come up with. And it's, um, I think it kind of goes into my question of, of how you see theater, whether it's like theater of the press, I mean, street theater, there's links between them, mm -hmm. how it can be a catalyst for change um, and awareness. Oh, that's a really good question. Well, there's a lot of uh, different answers for that. Um, there's a whole book that we can write about, <laughs> actually, or two or three or five. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, you know, not just theater, but any kind of art, it has a very important impact on not, not just the person that is performing, but also the person that is um, seeing, seeing it in the moment, feeling it. And theater in particular, it has something very special that is the being able to tap into the memory of the body and being able to share emotion. Emotion will have that ability to go through the barriers of our mind 
and make us uh, awake in some way, right? Because it's, it's, it's not going to get blocked by the mind in a way that you can be blocked, for example, precisely reading a book or, or looking at someone giving a conference, right? Or hearing someone, even in the radio, you know, in this case, the body has its own language and it has a way to trans to, to, to share this energy or these feelings that will make the person react in a way that is not necessarily um, with a mental process involved. Mm -hmm. The mental process is going to come out from there. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be um, a barrier between the message and, and the person, right? So I hear the most interesting part is that sometimes there are topics that are so hard to see and talk about in society that using art as a tool to visualize these sometimes really hard situations that we're in it it creates this feeling of familiarity mm -hmm. we, it's so it's so familiar it, it makes us feel like we are safe because art has also that wonderful magic power i say that it creates protection around you and that's why it has survived a lot of things even feudalism and and inquisitions mm -hmm. art has survived all that because it has the a power ability of creating this connection between the messenger and and the the, the, recep mm -hmm. the receptors mm -hmm. and it also has the power of creating this protection around it mm -hmm. so it it is a perfect ground to grow into that awareness of what is being said without the without that avoidance that we have sometimes where we don't want to see or mm -hmm. think about hard things mm -hmm. so so it's also a way to go very deep and create a very strong subconscious mm -hmm. uh, image that is going to help you process later on into your own life mm -hmm. because while you are being, uh, feeling identified with a character in a play um, you, that's also going to right away reflect into your own life mm -hmm. and you're going you're gonna to find ways to apply what you're seeing and the knowledge into your own life and that happens because theater in particular is a mimic of real life mm -hmm. so it gives you that opportunity of seeing something like in a mirror and you can actually reflect on what that mirror is telling about your own life. And theater of the oppressed in particular goes one step forward from there. And it tells you not only, yes, this is happening in your reality, wake up, call, but also it's telling you, and you can change it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to change it? Yeah. Yeah, like, what are you going to do about it? And what yeah. can we do about it as a community? I see that with some of the street and it's not exactly theater, but some of the street rallies or protests that we have. And there, we've done a bit, Broadburst Solidarity has done a bit of street theater in the past. I find that one of the things that is interesting around this type of theater is sometimes it's not, sometimes it's jarring to people that come by because they're not expecting to see something like that around like some real issue going on. And so there's lots of different reactions that you can get from it. Um, and I think sometimes people don't want to interact with the harshness of the world around them. And that's what I like also about that theater is that, no, we need to care about what is going on in the world. And we're here also to remind you is how I see it, too. Um, before we take a break, I wanted to ask you about the Magdalenas, because I have never I had never heard about them until I had talked to you and then I looked them up. But could you tell me what that project is? Yeah, the International Net of Magdalenas, it's, um, it's a little bit even bigger than a project, I will say. It's, it's a net. It's a net of women, uh, women-identified people, and it's precisely theater of the oppressed, but totally orientated to uh, the struggle against patriarchy. And so... Um, there's a lot of different projects that can come out of that um, 
the, the most important thing here, I guess, is that Magdalenas are a, a way of protecting each other, a way of visualizing different struggles that women go through in all different parts of the world and make us feel more connected, make us feel more um, really able to come out with strategies from a place of safety also. And, and it's, a, it's a great platform for people to find other histories to empower themselves and realize how much we're actually not alone and how much we want ourselves alive, just like the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing that you just gave me, mm-hmm. you know, that, that beautiful, beautiful message that is uh, resonating all over the globe, that is, we want us alive mm-hmm. and we want us also together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we're going to go to a quick song. This one is... Uh, Malo? They're by Malo, right, baby? Yeah. <laughs> Lou's helping me great. with my spell. Great. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why you're laughing. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we're going to go to this song, and then we will be back with Lou in the studio. <laughs> Mientras cruzaba los deditos tras la puerta Tu carita de niño guapo se la ha ido comiendo el tiempo por tu vena Y tu inseguridad machita se refleja cada día en mi lagrimita Una vez más no por favor, que estoy cansada y no puedo con el corazón Una vez más no mi amor por favor, no grites que los niños duermen This is Anna for Indigo Radio in the studio with Lou, and we are so happy to be here on Main Street because, like I said, we've been gone for a very long time, Indigo, and Lou is our first guest back. Uh, 
they are an artist, an educator, a healer. You do many things. <laughs> and you've been talking to us all about the theater of the oppressed uh, and then the Magdalena's Project, which moves actually into our next segment that I want to talk to you about. And that is, uh, you talked about how the Magdalena's were, like overall is a, a struggle against patriarchy and a connection between women. Uh, and trans women and um, those who identify as women or have been um, assigned women. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a lot of violence, again, we could say is umbrella against femininity. And one of the things that I want to talk to you a bit about now is femicide. And I was looking some of this up. I mean, I know this, of course, just because of the work that I do, but violence against women has really soared with COVID uh, globally. Lockdowns have really put women in a lot of danger. And the UN actually said that men's violence against women is the leading cause of premature death for women globally. Uh, And that they also called, the UN also said that there is a global pandemic of femicide. So I want to... um, and actually, let me just put this statistic in just so people hear this, is that the latest UN figures show that 137 women across the world are killed every day by a partner or member of their own family. A total of 50,000 women a year, a year are murdered by people they know and should be able to trust. So, Lou, I want to just first talk to you about this word femicide uh, and what that conjures up for you what it means well um it is a very very hard situation uh for all people identify as woman or with a feminine feminine body or female body because it also comes out with this feeling of victimhood that i want to get rid of right away right because it's not that we're coming out from a place of oh no we're being killed and we are so scared and and, you know all that victimhood that is projected over us it's more that we we see the situation where we are as a war and women and their bodies or any feminine body is being treated as a war treasure. I don't know if that's the exact word, you know, but it means that there's this strong need of I either have you or you're dead, right? And you can, you cannot, this is the worst part of this uh, premise or this way of seeing things is femicide, right? Like when people that you know and you trust uh, either abuse you or even kill you, Mm -hmm. right? But there's also other very subtle ways of doing that. You know, it can be even in the mind, for example, ghosting, Mm -hmm. right? There's so many ways that somebody can be, and I'm not trying to say that they are equal things, but I'm trying to say that sometimes the naturalization of little actions that came from this place of hatred against women and this place of I either have you or you're dead, you know, it's it's the root from these bigger issues that we have now uh, in a global level. And it's coming out here and now to be healed. Why? Because nobody's winning here. Mm -hmm. Nobody's winning. We are uh, in this situation all losing, no matter if you are identified as a woman or a male body people, it doesn't matter how you identify, you are losing in this war, just like in every war. Mm -hmm. But in this particular war, we are actually all threatened by it because, you know, just like the the songs that we were hearing, um, there's this misconception about what love is. And a lot of times we, we learn from our early on education from our parents that it is okay for a woman to accept mistreatment as love, for example, controlling behaviors or jealousy or, you know, and and it's it's nothing to say, you know, of course we all can have emotions and we're not here to 
to judge or blame people to have emotions, right? Of course, we all can feel them. But the thing is how we react to them or not, mm -hmm. right? How we put up with what's going on or not. Mm -hmm. So one of the most important things um, talking about femicide is how we as a society understand that this is a symptom. This is a... Or a, or a sickness that comes out with a lot of little symptoms, maybe. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's very important to see this as a reflection of the division that we have created in our minds between the masculine energy and the feminine energy. Because it is, from, from my perspective, it is an illusion. We're not divided. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we, we keep creating creating and, and believing that we are divided and therefore we we desperately need the other half right because that's what we think we, we don't see us we, we don't see each other as whole so uh, the symptoms that we're going to see out of these doubts these these wrong beliefs that we're not whole is that um we're going to need so desperate to have that other part of me that belongs to me that is mine and I needed to like carry it so badly mm -hmm. that then we're gonna be using violence even in subtle ways like psychological playing games that you call it or this uh, uh, I think I mentioned before they um, ghosting or mm -hmm. these little little things that are anyway violent mm -hmm. and we can also go all the way to murder mm -hmm. from there there's, of course, a gray area or a skill there, but they all become from the same wrong belief. Like, yeah. if I don't control this, if I don't control my feelings, if I don't show up vulnerable, for example, in, in case of uh, male-identified people, I, I'm going to lose. But you're actually losing when you are engaging in violence mm -hmm. by using emotional abuse or, or psychological abuse or even physical abuse to retain someone mm -hmm. or to just to have control over a situation. Yeah. And in the other extreme, you know, uh, when women identify people that are not taught to put boundaries because that belongs, um, they tell us that belongs to the, to the male aspect of life. So you are either strong in your masculine energy and you can set up your boundaries or you shouldn't at all. You mm -hmm. should just follow what people are telling you and let people um, use your body or use your feminine energy as an acquaintance or mm -hmm. as something that they want and should have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But this is all of course, an illusion, because our, our bodies are made for us to enjoy and for mm -hmm. us to love and for us to just do whatever we want with them, even if that means uh, wearing little shorts or even if that means mm -hmm. loving multiple people, whatever it is that people want to do with mm -hmm. their bodies is their birthright. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we're so desperate for love everyone that creates this toxicity between masculines and feminine energies mm -hmm. and creates this war, well, if I can have you, I'm going to control you. And that's the beginning of uh, symptoms that is going to bring us all the way to femicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that I, had, I think I had said to you in an email when we were talking about this show is that Femicide, that word, is often not put in the context of the U.S., at, at least I feel like. It's, it's sort of seen as something that happens in Mexico or um, Honduras or it happens in some place in Africa. Like the, it, It's sort of put out, out there. But I was looking up the actual sort of what is femicide, and... This is a quote. Most femicide crimes are committed by partners or ex-partners and involve ongoing abuse in the home, threats or intimidation, sexual violence, or situations where women have less power or fewer resources than their partner. And I was looking up stats in the U.S. And uh, in 2018, the most recent stat I found, 2018, close to 2,000 women were killed by men in the U.S. That's from the Violence Policy Center. 
92% by someone they know and most likely by a gun. Um, black women are disproportionately killed three times that of, of white women. Also, the year 2020 was the highest on record for the murder of trans identified people. So 44, and this is the US, trans um, people were killed in 2020. Again, highest on record. Majority of them trans women of color. And so I think that it's important for me to raise issue of that this word femicide is um, important uh, to be used in the context of this country. Because they were saying Mexico is one, and I, we're, we're going to talk about Mexico because I know you did work in Mexico. Mexico, uh, there was a thousand women killed in 2000, and there's been there was a nationwide strike in March of 2021 that was met with violent protests in Mexico City. Uh, but like I said, in 2018, 2,000 women in the U.S. were killed, and so I just wanted your thoughts around that too. Yeah, that 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 is a very important. Thing that you're bringing in here because there's all this naturalization of violence. Uh, I call it also the, the rape culture. And it is, it is all around that it is okay to see women as an object of possession or an object of, um, you know, um, I don't know how to say it now that it's not triggering, but, you know, seeing women as something that is there to serve and how that come out in so many subtle ways in our social behaviors. And that's something that you're going to see all around the globe. And here in particular, I, I can see how many, how many women have been suffering in silence. And this is not visualized because I think because is attached with something much greater. Mm. And if you ask me, I think Magdalena's had a very important key there. And it's like, you know, their name come out from Mary Magdalene, right? And Mary Magdalene, it is a very important figure when we're talking about femicide. Because if you think about it, Mary Magdalene was the couple or the friend or the, uh, you know, equal of Jesus. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. And I know it's going to bring a lot of debate around it, but I, I don't care. You know, I, li I, I like to hear it, Lou. I, I like to throw this part right there. And I think like what happened to Mary Magdalene is something very, very important to analyze because she was in a way murdered, even if she wasn't necessarily murdered in physically, she was disappeared mm. from her books from our religions from our spirituality and not just her but also all the goddesses the goddesses were um feared people were afraid of the goddess energy and so the goddess was totally denied and and was then becoming something very important to put that feminine energy that empowered feminine energy down so that power does not come out because it wouldn't look good that now Mary Magdalene could be doing the same things that Jesus was doing and be the, the chosen one by God. Oh, my God, <laughs> that's not okay. A woman? And, and it's actually what happens that a lot of evangelists were disappeared huh. because they were talking about uh, homosexuality uh -huh. and about Mary Magdalene and her own connection with divinity. So by denying the goddess energy in society, we're also, also denying our, our connection with divinity because um, the goddess is also talking to us about our connection with Mother Earth mm -hmm. and how important our bodies and our nurturing energy are. We all have divine feminine energy. It's not that we're not connected with that energy, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the thing is by from the early on denial of the importance and the meaning that that figure has in history, we are bringing to our collective subconscious the idea that women are not important and the idea that we don't need feminine energy to survive in this world. And that's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's a big lie. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first lie that Magdalena, the Magdalena International identified as the way to 
lose our power and and lose our identity of who we actually are. Mm -hmm. And if you see all around people uh, female identify or women identify or um, feminine feminine body people are sometimes feeling ashamed about their own power, Mm -hmm. sometimes feeling scared about um, that that divinity because it it belongs to ancestral trauma. We're afraid that we're going to be killed. Mm. We're afraid that if we are actually feminine with that divine energy that we have, we're going to be killed. And so we try to figure out a way of being more masculine. And you can see that in, in society, like how easy it is for women to wear pants. Why men cannot wear skirts that easy? Well, here in the United States, you can see a little bit more of that empowering of divine feminine in male body people people but you don't see that on on central and south america Mm. it's a lot harder for people to come out as queer for example Mm -hmm. because of the threatens of death and that is because the denial of the goddesses energies uh, are even stronger in those places because there's a lot of people earth-based and when you're earth-based that's empowering for the divine feminine energy that we all have inside and so that will mean that now we're going to want to protect and nurture and take care. And that is not aligned mm-hmm. with, um, with the idea of conquering and going ahead for war, right? Mm-hmm. Because we will want to protect our Mother Earth. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's not okay for this society where uh, Mother Earth is just something to be raped something to be extract from mm-hmm. something to be taken out from and we don't see the power that mother earth have the same way that we don't see the power that every person in their feminine energy had because we are trained to deny that energy and that power and another little uh, or big symptom that you can see on that is every single women body people that i know had body issues Mm. or self-esteem issues tell mm-hmm. me now mm-hmm. everybody no, has no. it no matter what no matter if you are uh, any kind of color in your skin no matter your eyes it doesn't matter your age you're gonna struggle with self-esteem you're gonna struggle with your body issues you're gonna fight your whole life to find your actual power your your spot where you feel like you love yourself and you feel recognized and that is from a place of a feminine energy you can feel recognized, but it's for success, money, or fame, all uh, things that usually masculine energy can bring. Not masculine people, but masculine energy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the thing is, when we understand that by denying that very, very important part of ourselves, we are perpetuating patriarchy, that is when healing starts. We r- remember we can open our our eyes to see that we are actually coming from a place of divinity, all of us, in our feminine energies. And that feminine energy needs to be honored. And that's what feminicides are yelling to us, are screaming, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This is wrong. And why is wrong? We're dying. And we are one. So here, when I was telling you before that men are also losing, is because they're also dying. <laughs> Out of that, nobody is happy in this situation. Nobody is winning because we're all denying that fundamental connection with our feminine energy that connects us with our land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say, uh, and you had said it earlier when we were talking about that poster over there. Will you tell me again what it says? No s- is it the the one behind you that I had given you earlier? Vivas nos queremos. Yeah, I was thinking about just even listening to you and some of the, looking up the songs. So Lou had given me a number of songs to look up. I, I feel like listening to the songs and then talking to you about how that phrase is a, a phrase that is used throughout Latin America is it seems like there is quite a robust movement to me around these sorts of issues in Latin America. Would you say that? Or, and I know you spent some time in Mexico. Um, is there anything that you could say about that and, and the kind of activism around that? 
Yeah, there, there's a lot, a lot of different groups right now that are organizing in Argentina, Guatemala, Mexico, um, all around the globe, but especially in those places because there's been this awareness, this wake-up call for the feminine energy to defend themselves and to, to honor themselves. And people are being more aware than before now that we are seeing also this connection that I was talking before with between our feminine energy and our Mother Earth and how weather change is is affecting everyone in the globe and, and it's so out of balance. Mm-hmm. And that is again another symptom of how out of balance our feminine and masculine energies are. And so these, these collectives that you can see are working towards that with all different kind of strategies from radio shows, festivals, rallies, uh, theater. There's so many different approaches that people can develop for that. But they all share something in common and it's sorority. They're there for each other. Mm. There's no competence. There's no looking for who is making a better job. Here we're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are men involved in it at all? Well... <laughs> And, and with that, what do you think the role of men is? That's a great question. Because like you said, and I agree with you, is that they're losing also. Absolutely. And I was saying that recently in a meeting. I was saying if we, if we, we lose our humanity, if we um, don't see the humanity in men, that yeah, I spend a lot of time specifically with women that have experienced abuse from men. And... Yeah, I mean, of course it can be a lot, but I never want to lose sight of they must not get it, be getting needs met if, if they are taking this out on women to the, to the point of also killing women, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what is, is their role here and, and what do you think about all that? Yeah, well, in my experience, um, this separation, this illusion of separation between the feminine energy and the masculine energy, it's creating a kind of like a cognitive dissonance. When we feel like we are different, and so we put up all of these walls, and then what we create is the feeling that we're not being seen or loved. So by denying our feminine energy, we are instantly denying our masculine divine energy too and what I'm what I'm talking about divine energy I'm talking about that masculinity that is awakened that is healthy and that we all have and should be growing inside ourselves right because it's not about okay now we need to be all about the goddesses and this is the feminine energy that is going to win and a lot of people put things like that like this is like a a word when it's like white and black thing right feminine against masculine and this is not the case what is what is coming out for me here is like we need to honor both of those energies because when when people get polarized and start saying oh i am this or that i am a a macho right a masculine very masculine person they they don't see how much that is affecting their self-esteem and so we have a lot of issues in in male body people related to their own self-esteem too Mm -hmm. it's not just women that are questioning Mm -hmm. about their bodies Mm -hmm. or questioning about their you know their ability to be loved because when they lose track on onto that connection that unionness unity sorry that we have between our masculine and feminine energy then they become more judgmental of themselves and they feel like they have to be something different to be loved Mm -hmm. they need to control they need to be better they need to be the alpha they need to all these all all of these lies Mm -hmm. that they're telling to themselves and they actually suffer from that we have depression Mm -hmm. we have a -hmm. lot of addiction addiction to sex addiction to to codependency there are so many addictions that come out from this wound of not feeling loved or heard or seen. And that is actually a reflection of their own inner division. Mm. When they expect the approval or the look of the other, the women energy, or sorry, the the female energy, and instead of looking at themselves, instead of um, stop denying their own feminine 
a masculine energy imbalance and loving it mm -hmm. and making complete uh, feeling complete in a way that they don't need to control any they don't need to um, make someone love them because they are already whole mm -hmm. and so that's why I, I was correcting you about the day term because mm -hmm. I, I do like to feel like I'm a whole person mm -hmm. and I love my feminine and masculine energy so it's not necessary for me to get approval for any yeah and so the thing is male are now suffering a lot from a lot of pressure of um, finding their side in this war. That's why a lot of people that had born with a male body and does not identify with these society values are um, queer identified people now and feel like they rather be a woman because they don't see their masculine energy as something valuable, mm. as something, I mean, not all of them, of course, and not all of them had that reason to be queer, but I'm saying that some of them come out of a place of wound because we don't see that we are all actually both energies. And so that what it brings is this situation of conflict, of war in between I am this and you are that, and this strong separation that creates a lot of pain mm -hmm. and a lot of wound. And so for us to be able to transcend that idea that we are separated and heal from this terrible sickness that femicide is, is very important that male body people take accountability on how much they are also victims on this patriarchy um, education, uh, patriarchal education that we are reproducting every day with our thoughts, with our decisions, and with our fears. We are giving attention to the separation, mm -hmm. what is not real. Mm -hmm. And so, so by first realizing that they are also victims and they are actually suffering from all this. That's the first step. The second step is doing the inner work. It's not about coming rushing into feminist groups and say, okay, I'm here for you and, and please love me because I'm not the macho, right? I'm not the male alpha, please love me, I'm good. But it's not about that. It's, it's about realizing that you were also being hurt by the system and it's not out of a place of trying to disentangle from masculine energy and say like no i don't have anything to do with this it's more about recognizing how wounded that energy is in inside of ourselves and doing the inner work to heal your own feminine and masculine energy inside of you mm -hmm. so you can be in peace and you don't need anyone's approval or control or any kind of these toxic behaviors that come out yeah. out of these wounds right yeah and the third step is actively engaging in change how you can do that is not again not going to be clingy and, and you know being on top of your partner trying to say like what can I do for you I'm gonna wash all the dishes or I'm gonna, or I'm gonna you know it's not the energy of trying to now be a, a woman or trying to now be uh, su submit and it's not about that it's more about go work with other male identified people and heal the masculine energy and why because we need male identified people to be doing that work because when female identified people or female body people try to do the work for the masculine we're only enabling them mm -hmm. and what we're doing is getting um, a response of reactivity they're they're gonna push us out of of their they, you know it's, it's not gonna come out as a message that they can digest yeah they're uh, rather will go defensive mm -hmm. and so the healing of this particular aspect of patriarchy that is the, the inner masculine wounds it has to be done by people that had a male body in this life sorry mm -hmm. I'm, I'm talking this is my cosmovision but this is very important that people take accountability oh i have a masculine body then this is kind of what i ha what i have to do to work also with other male body people to understand that we're not winning in this war mm -hmm. that there is a war and that we are actually also victims mm -hmm. and we have to change that because is there's a difference between being a victim and a victimhood mentality it's yeah. not staying with oh i'm a victim for me and i hate women mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I, and, and i hate men and women no mm -hmm. it's 
changing that mindset to become more powerful, empowered, and seeing that there is a way out and is by understanding that we need to heal that masculinity and see what is actually a healthy, how actually a healthy masculinity can look like. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, no matter what kind of body you have, we all have to do that. Yeah. But male body people had to do that even more because they have to bring this accountability. And, and there's nothing that people with female bodies or female identified can do in this realm because it's absolutely a lot harder for us mm-hmm. to find that empathy you know yeah there's this uh, f- for people that have already this wound of division of separation between their masculine and feminine energy they're gonna always see a female body person or a female identified person as a threaten or as something to that is separated from me so what this person can tell me Mm -hmm. and this is something that you can see you know very strongly when a feminist woman is talking to an aggressor and of course the person is going to be reacting with defensivity Mm -hmm. but we can also see that um and lou sorry to interrupt we are like we're actually almost over time at this point (gasps) okay okay oh there's so much to talk about (laughs) well i guess so can i yeah, we are out. Of, we are totally out of time. I'm so sorry. The hour goes by so fast. Yes. So let me ask you your last thought quickly, maybe like 30 seconds. I know you also are thinking about doing a theater or a press group here at Magdalena's, or you can talk about that. And then we'll go out with um, Canción Sin Miedo. If you want to introduce that song, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there's this workshop coming out. We're going to be precisely talking about uh, patriarchy. And this workshop is the 25th and 26th of June. It's going to be happening in uh, 120 Berg, the William Hart. And it's uh, donation-based and free for all people that are working at the Women and Freedom Center. Oh, nice. And so I, I hope everybody feels welcome. There's no need to be an actor or an actress at all. You have a flyer or something that you can, because we can post that on our Facebook. Yeah, and, yeah. I will, okay. I will give you a flyer. And the idea is this is going to be an intensive workshop about the theater of the press. And out of that, we will see what happens. So we can come out with a little group, a little collective. Awesome. We'll see where it goes. Great. And Cancion Sin Miedo by Viver Quintana. The song is, um, it's around women that have, died right around femicide yeah okay so it's dedicated to those women do you want to say anything as we leave here today well just that this song talks precisely about that thought of not um having a this mentality of victimhood even when you're a victim mm-hmm. and so this to- this song says like i knew i could die but anyway i came out because i'm free that's beautiful okay great Lou, I want to thank you so much for being on Indigo Radio in the studio with us today and sharing all of your thoughts. So thank you so much, and we hope to have you again on Indigo Radio. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Have a great day, all all of you out there. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Enjoy yourself. We'll be back next week.
Tiemblen 